0: Lessons in Tanya The Tanya of Rabbi Schneur Zalman of Liadi taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion
1: Krasniansky Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg We're holding on page 917 and he said, based on what we said earlier we'll understand what the verse means when the verse says that I, God, have not changed Based on our understanding of the unity of God, that the unity of God means that God is one, God is alone, nothing else exists but God. How can God say nothing changed? Of course something changed. Before God was alone, now He has us. He has company. He's not alone. How can you say God is alone? Didn't we say earlier that all of creation was created because God wanted to be king. God wanted to have a relationship. God was single and he wanted a relationship. He wanted to get married. So he created the world that exists outside of him. He created time. He created space. He created um, a separation. And so there is something outside of him. The whole foundation of creation is that there's a world that exists outside of God. There's an outside perspective, a perspective that exists outside of God. That's... that's that's not attached to God, disconnected from God. Subjects, like the distance between subjects and the king. It's a huge distance. You can't be king over yourself. You can't be king over your children. You can't be king over your ministers who reside in the palace. You can only be king over subjects who live outside of the palace or a distance from the king. So the name Adonai, the name of king, this name God created the whole world because God wanted to be a king. God wanted to have a relationship. He wanted to get married. He was single. He was alone, and He created something outside of Him. And then now you have a relationship, and it's a two-way street. God relates to us, we relate to Him. And God is able to see Himself from our perspective, which is a unique perspective, a novelty. God is able to step outside of Himself, so to speak, and is able to see Himself as an outsider would see Him, which is really the most precious perspective. Just like within us, within human beings, the most precious perspective is when we are able to step outside of ourselves and see... We see feedback. How does someone outside of us see us? We see ourselves reflected in the eyes of our spouse. see ourselves reflected in the eyes of the customers. see ourselves reflected in the eyes of the students. see ourselves reflected in the eyes of the audience. This is the deepest satisfaction that a person can get, is when a person is able to see himself reflected from an outsider's point of view. He's able to step outside of himself and enter into someone else's mind and communicate and reach them. So... So there is something outside of God, and it's real. It's created by a a holy name, the name Adonai, which represents God's royalty, an attribute of royalty, which is a genuine attribute of God. So something very genuine is going on here. This is very real. Life is real. Our relationship is real. So how can you say that nothing changed? You were alone before you created the world, you are alone after you created the world. He said the only way to understand this is based on what he just explained. Now, he just explained earlier that, that the, what he calls the lower level of unity. There's a the higher level of unity and there's the lower level of unity. The higher level of unity is God's name, which transcends time and space. God's essential name, because that is God as he is alone, and everything is nullified before him, nothing exists before him, everything is truly nullified and doesn't exist, has no value, has no meaning, doesn't add anything to God, doesn't mean anything to God, and therefore it is nullified. It is completely nullified before God. There's no time, there's no space, there's no separation, there's nothing outside of God. All there is is God. That's the higher level of unity, the highest level of unity. Then you have the lower level of unity, which is... The name Adonai, the name with which God creates all the worlds, which on that level, our reality has significance, has value. That is the whole point, the whole purpose is it should be a relationship, and that creates time and space and creates our sense of egos, our sense of separation, our sense of self. Even angels have a sense of self, there's a consciousness. Consciousness is consumed with with a very profound understanding of godliness, but nevertheless, there's... I understand God, so there's already two separate entities that are tied together, like you take a rope and you make a knot, but it's still two ropes that you just tie together. So angels are bound with God, and their mind is constantly consumed with understanding God. But there's an I, there's a sensuousness, there's there's, a sentience, there's there's a sense of I, and so there is already a separation, and that is the whole point of that divine attribute of royalty to create a world that separate. So you can't say that the world has no meaning, the world has no significance, the world has meaning, the world has significance, time has meaning, space has meaning, we have meaning, the whole world has meaning. So on that level, the unity between the world and God is, is a lower level of unity, only in the sense that we can become connected with God. We could, we could um, nullify ourselves before God. We can choose to have a relationship with God. We can connect with God. We can bend our will before God. We can submit ourselves to God. We can realize that there's a God, that there's something greater than us. That's that's the lower level of unity. And that is the way it is classically discussed throughout Hasidic philosophy. The two extremes. A higher level of unity means where the world is completely nullified, the world has no significance, the world has no value, has no significance, meaningless, it doesn't mean anything, it doesn't... Um, to God. Therefore God is alone because there's nothing but God. And then there is the lower level of unity which is that, that the world has significance and we relate to God by submitting ourselves to God, by being loyal subjects to God, accepting God as our sovereign, God as my king and God as my master. But then he discussed earlier, he discussed a new insight into the higher level of unity two other levels, the higher level of unity and the lower level of unity, which are referred to as the combination of the two names, the name Yudke Vavke, God's essential name, the four-letter name, and the name Adnai. As it's written in many siddurim, they're they're written together, becomes like an eight-letter name. But One is the main and one, and then it's followed by the other one, the first letter of of the main name and then the first letter of the secondary name. And you have two ways. You can start with yud and then aleph, yud from yud Vavke and aleph from adnai, and then uh, hey and then dalid. So the primary name is the yud Vavke and the um, other name adnai is merged within that name. That's what we call a higher level of unity. What he c- described as a higher level of unity, or you start out, the first letter of these eight letters is Aleph from the name Adonai, which represents God's royalty. And then next letter is Yud, the first letter of the other name, of God's essential name. And then Dalid from the name Adonai, and then He, and then and then Nun, and then Vav, and then Yud, and then the last, final He. And then that's what he calls, refers to the lower level of unity, where the primary name is Adonai, but merged within that name is also the letter Yudkei And He explained that what that means is that the higher level of unity means that yes, God creates time, and there is time, and there is space, but what does the time and space represent? What What is it all about? It's not about time and space. It's about God being so undefined, God being so infinite, that he's not even limited to being infinite. He can transcend, not only could he transcend the physical, he can even transcend the spiritual, he can even transcend being infinite, he can even leap over the definition of being infinite, and he can even express himself and concentrate himself in a finite space, just like he did in the temple. He concentrated his presence in a geographic location in a physical, geographic location. Israel, a holy land, a, a physical land, a limited space, very limited space, and yet God is concentrated, His holiness is concentrated in that land. Within the land, Jerusalem. His holiness is concentrated within Jerusalem. Within Jerusalem, it's in the Temple Mount. His Holiness is concentrated within the Temple Mount. Higher level of holiness, a higher manifestation of holiness. And then within the Temple Mount, the, the Temple itself, the Shekhinah, God's presence never left the Temple till today. You're not allowed to go up the temple because your life is cut off if you go up the temple. If you're impure, which we all are, because God's presence is felt today, just like it was during the times of the temple. And then within the temple you have the Holy of Holies, which is the ultimate manifestation of God. And what did we find in the Holy of Holies? We found the ultimate miracle, paradoxical miracle. He took up a space, the ark took up a space, it was two and a half amas, which was which was like 45 inches, and then you had the space itself took up like like approximately 30 feet. And if you measure the arc, and if you measured the room, it's as if the arc didn't exist. The arc took up space, the room took up space, and you measured from one end of the arc to the other end of the arc, to, the other end to the, each end of the room, it was 15 feet. It's as if the arc didn't exist. So it was the ultimate miracle. There was time, there was no time, there was space, there was no space. Just like we find... God showed Adam all future generations. In one second, he showed him the whole future. How can you have beyond time and time at the same time? Only God could could, create, could square the circle, the ultimate paradox. So what is time and space about? Time and space is not about time and space, not about limitation. On the contrary, it expresses God's true essence, that God is so undefined, God is so unlimited, that he can square the circle. He can define the undefined. He can undefine the defined. He can mix the two. He can combine the two. He can concentrate is infinite and in the finite, and they both exist simultaneously, it blows the mind. So what is space, time and space all about? What is the Neymad Nai that creates a sense of separation, a sense of time and space? What is it about? It's not about separation, time and space. It's in the country. It's, it's all, all that it's about is to express the ultimate undefined aspect of God, the essence of God, that God is so undefined, God is so is so real and so essential that core that he can combine the two and he can express himself and concentrate himself even in, even in space. God can even express himself through time and space. So it's a different time and space. We're not talking about the same time and space. It's not the time and space that we know, which is a separation, a limitation, a definition. This is the, oh, on the country, what, what what do you see from that point of view? What do you see within time and space? What does God see from within time and space? without nullifying the name Adna. The name Adna is not nullified. On the contrary, they both merge. You have both together. But what's primary? What do you see? What's it all about? You don't see the time and space or the limitation. You don't see that the ark has a limit or that the room has a limit. What you see is on the contrary, it's so beyond limit, it's even beyond beyond the beyond that you can have both together simultaneously. Which is really the miracle of life. The ultimate paradox. The combination of body and soul. Only God could combine energy and matter. The body and the soul reside together. How can body and soul reside together? It's two opposites. It's like saying 2 plus 2 is 4 uh, is connected to this table. How can 2 plus 2 is 4 be limited to this table? 2 plus 2 is 4 is an abstract answer. It transcends time and space. How can you limit 2 plus 2 is 4 to this table? To take a soul, pure energy... And to limit it to this geographic location, to the table, to to the body, is nothing short. It's a paradox. There's no connection. What's the connection between matter and energy, spiritual things? But this is only God, who's truly infinite, not only infinite, undefined, who's beyond being infinite. We can't even begin to describe God. He can combine the two. And he can focus and concentrate the energy and the soul into the body until they become inseparable in one. So if, you, if we removed our blinders, we're able to see reality from God's point of view. What does God see in the world? He doesn't see a world that's separate from him. He sees a world that's, that, that's totally one with him, that's totally nullified before, before him. That's totally connected with him. It's the ultimate expression of God's essence. It's a different world. It's not the world we inhabit. Then you have the world that we inhabit. The lower level of unity. We don't sense that unity. We don't sense that unification or that nullification before God. That sense of nothingness before God. We sense we are a result of the name Adnai, which creates a separate world, a limited world, a defined world, time, space, words, concepts, definitions. That's our frame of reference. That's our whole world that we exist in, we operate. And that's our reality. We don't know any other reality. But even that name, Adnai, even as it, as it emerges as an independent, as a prominent, as it operates prominently and independently, so to speak, and it creates a world, the whole purpose was that there should be a world that is separate, not a world that senses it's a holy of holies. If we all sensed that we were living in the holy of holies, we would all act, we would all act like holy of holies. That's not the point of the world. God wanted to be a king, He can't be a king. If we sense the holy of holies, he can't be a king. If we're totally nullified before God and totally unified with God, then we can't be a ki- then God can't be a king over us. Obviously, God created the world. He wanted a world with a healthy sense of ego that feels our separateness and feels has a healthy sense of self consciousness and a, and a sense of time and space. So, but that and that's the divine purpose that's the attribute the divine attribute of adnai of royalty which creates the world and has that effect that's the world that we live in it's not by accident that we have egos and and we have a sense of separation god intended it that way because that's the name adnai god wanted to be a king and the only way he could be a king is over subjects so he created us to be subjects separate from god outside the palace we live outside we're not even like the angels who at least live in the palace we don't even live in the palace we're outsiders disconnect So, God intended it that way, but nevertheless, even after God created it that way, nevertheless, it's all God. And for God, there is no separation. Because the name, Yudke Vavke, is God, the ability with which God creates the world. Only God has the power to create something from nothing. That's God. And the ability to hide is also God. So so two things. Firstly, as he discussed earlier, the ability to hide is a greater presence, a greater self-expression than the ability to reveal. The ability to hide shows a lot more, reflects a person's character much more than a person's self-expression. Your ability to self, of self-restraint, the ability to conceal, the ability to limit, in a certain sense, it comes from a much deeper place than the ability to self-express, which is very superficial. It's a deeper, it's more revealing, <laughs> ironically, <laughs> it's more revealing what a person's character, what a person won't do, Is much more revealing than what a person would do. You want to know what a person is all about, their real character. It's not by what they do, how they express themselves, what they love, it's what they want their inner refinement, their inner character, what they want, the red lines they won't cross, the self restraint, the dignity. So there's a greater presence. It's a subtle presence, but there's a greater presence in hiding than there is in revelation. So when God hides and creates the world as we know it, That's the ultimate expression of God's presence. So it's not like God is hiding. That is God. The ability to hide is God. The ability to reveal is God. And, And in a certain sense, God's presence is greater than His ability to hide. So if we are the result of God's ability to hide, that is God's presence. We don't see it. But God sees it. It's God. It's God's presence. It's Him. So God is everywhere. Even after God created the world of separation, even in that world God is, nothing changed. Even though the whole purpose of the name of separate, the name Adam, the name of royalty, is that there should be a relationship with something outside of God, and, that, and with that name God creates something separate from him, but that name is unified within God. That name is one with the higher name of God. The two are, are together. That's what we just ex- finished explaining. It's the lower level of unity, but the two names are together. So although the name adna is more prominent, that's the first letter, and therefore it creates a world where God is hidden, where we have a healthy sense of self, and we have to subject ourselves to God, and we have to struggle, and we have to willingly choose, and there's conflict, and we have to overcome, and we have to exert effort. But nevertheless, from God's point of view, nothing changed. Because from God's point of view, that's also His name. It's, uh, the attribute of royalty is God's attribute. And the attribute of the world, the Adonai, is unified with the name Yudkei Vavke, God's essential name. With God's essence. Because even the hiding, the hiding is also God. Only God has the ability to hide. That he should be totally present, creating us each and every moment. And yet at the same time, we have no sense of him. Totally concealed. He have no clue, no concept. Only God can hide himself there and that's the ultimate presence the ultimate it's far more revealing about God than the fact the ability of God to create the ability of God to hide total concealment although the truth is that he's constantly creating us each and every moment we are totally dependent on him. we can't he can turn us on off in a second we can't exist for one split second without and yet nevertheless and God would cease creating us we would cease to exist and yet at the same time God should totally hide and conceal himself only God has the ability to do that. So in a certain sense, that's more revealing about God than God's ability to self-express. That's a deeper explanation, uh, revelation of God. So God is present in the hiding, in our world, in our space, in our space, in our time. God is present. That is God's presence. The fact that God hides, that is the ultimate, that's only God can hide like that. So that is also God. So the hiding is God. The creation is God. And... The other point is, since the revelation is God, the right hand, as he said earlier, is God. the left hand, the concealment is God, so from God's point of view, it's like the left hand hiding over the right hand. Could you, could you cover up on yourself? You can't hide yourself, as reflected in Jewish law. If you have no yarmulke, you want to make a bracha, you can't put your hand, your naked hand over your head. It's not considered a covering. You can't cover up over yourself. If someone else puts his hand over you, that, that's a covering or if you put your sleeve over over your head, but you can't put your your naked arm over over your head, it's not considered the covering, because you can't cover up on yourself. You are yourself. What difference does it make if it's your right arm or if it's your left arm? God is revealing, God is hiding, it's the same God. So from God's point of view, even within the space, time and space, of our world, God is totally present. And therefore, there is no separation. And there's no, there's no hiding. And therefore, we're all nullified before God. And that's what he says. Based on what we said, we just explained that even within the name Adonai, in other words, even within the divine royal attribute that creates the world as we know it, and it's a genuine, it's a genuine creation. It's not an illusion. It's a genuine creation. God wanted to be king, and he created the world that's separate from him, and is genuine. When we, when we serve God and every time we nullify ourselves before God, every time we subject ourselves to God, every time we overcome a difficulty and we struggle and we pass the test, and every time we willingly choose to relate to God, this is tremendous, it's genuine. Something very real is happening. It's divine truth. Yet at the same time, nothing changes. All that, all that exists is God. Because even within that world, with even that time and space, that time and space is per- totally permeated. With the name Yudke Vavke, which is the infinite, which is God, in which we are totally nullified, in which we don't exist, which our existence means nothing, and we don't exist. So as paradoxical (coughs) as it sounds, that on one hand we're very real, and the world is very real, at the same time, even within this space, within this framework, God's reality totally (coughs) permeates this framework. And therefore, just like God was alone before He created the world, He's alone now even after He created the world. Even, even in the name and the royal attribute of royalty, which creates a world, even there, that name is totally one with Yudke Vavke. And therefore, even though we don't sense it, but that's the truth from God's point of view. The way God sees the world, what does God see in the world? All there is, is God even after God created us because he wanted to marry us and, and therefore we ha- our reality has meaning and, and it's re- even in that space even in that relation, in that space all there is is God how could that be? but it's a, it's a genuine divine attribute God wanted <clears> to be a king he wanted to have a marriage he wanted to have a relationship but that name is also part of God that divine attribute is part of God and therefore, it's connected with the higher name, with the name Yudke <clears throat> And therefore, God's presence is with, even within that frame of reference. God's, God's reality permeates even the royal attribute, even the space with his relationship and everything. So, even in that space, really all there is is God. And that's why the prophet could say, "Ani <inaudible> I God did not change. Just like I was alone before he created the world, I am alone even after he created the world. Alone. I was alone before he created the There was no existence. There was nothing else. There's no relationship. There's no marriage. There's nothing. All there is, is is God. Even after he creates the world. Even within the time and space. Even within this frame of reference. God is alone. That's a novelty. That's revolutionary. That's what he's explaining here. And he says it's only, and that's why he only introduces this after he just finished explaining the two levels of unity, the, the novel interpretation of the two levels of unity, the higher level and the lower level of unity. And his explanation was that even in the world, even after in the world of divine attribute, the divine attribute of royalty, which creates a space where there is something outside of God, and genuinely, even in that world, in that space, nothing changes. Because God permeates that space. Because that divine attribute is connected with God, inseparable from God. And just like God's reality permeates all of reality, there's nothing empty of God. There's no place that space empty of God. So to even within time and space, even after God creates time and space and within time and space, which is not an illusion, which comes from a divine attribute of royalty, of marriage, of relationship, of God wanted to be king, even within that time and space, it still remains totally inseparable and connected with God. God's reality and unity permeates even that divine space. Even that space. And therefore, nothing changes. Just like God was alone before He created the world, He remains alone even after He created the world. As paradoxical or as difficult as it is for us to understand it, because on one hand we say that the world is genuine, that God is creating us. God wanted to be a king. In order to be a king, he has to have a relationship, something outside of him. Mm-hmm. And, and everything that we're doing in life is very real. Overcoming tests, overcoming difficulties, pushing ourselves, doing a mitzvah, every tear, every, every effort, every sincerity, every, everything is so, so valuable and so meaningful. So it's real. You take a physical object, a secular object, a physical object, and you transform it into a sacred object. You're accomplishing something very genuine, even from God's point of view. And yet at the same time, nothing changed. God was alone before he created <clears throat> the world, and he's alone after he created the world. As we say in the morning prayers, Atahu, actually, in Ibrahim, you are the same one before You created the world. Atohu, just like you were alone before he created, you created the world, literally, you're alone. Exactly the same way now, after you create the world with the divine attribute of royalty, and it's all genuine, and it's all good and well, even after the fact, you still remain alone. How is it possible? Based on what he explained now, we can understand this. In the middle of page 917.
0: Now, from the foregoing exposition,
1: one will be able to
0: understand the verse, I, Havaya, have not changed. This means, not only has there been no change in God's conduct or even his will with regard to rewarding the righteous and so on, But this verse means explicitly that there is no change, heaven forbid, in God. There exists nothing that can alter Him. Right. In other
1: words, the simple explanation, and the way the classical philosophers understand it, is that God's will doesn't change. Even though you have change in the world, but God's will doesn't change. God wants people to be righteous, and He wants to reward the righteous. If there's any change, we change. If we live up to His divine will, we get rewarded. If not we distance ourselves from his will, we get punished. But God doesn't change. You can't change God's mind. God is not like a human being who changes his mind, changes mm-hmm. his moods. God ha- doesn't change. But here he's saying it in a much, much deeper meaning. And the Leishanisi means that God doesn't change just like God was alone before he created the world. Even after he created the world, he's alone. Nothing changed. Continue.
0: The only consideration that might possibly cause one to wonder about there being a change in God's unity is his bringing created beings into existence. Before their creation, nothing whatever existed other than him. After their creation, however, one might erroneously conclude that there now exists something in addition to him the various worlds and their denizens. And were this to be so, this would constitute a, ja- a change in God's absolute unity. Heaven forbid. The verse. Therefore, anticipates this by saying, I, Havaya, have not changed. There is no change in him at all. Just as he was alone before the creation of the world, so is he alone after it was created. Superficially, this is difficult to understand. How can we possibly say that God is alone after the world was created, when there now exists an additional entity, the world? However, according to the explanation given here regarding divine unity, this matter is clearly understood. Since the world is truly nullified in its entire entirety in relation to Him and is wholly united with Him, <clears throat> with him God is thus just as truly alone after the world was created as He was alone prior to its creation. Accordingly it is written, You were the same before the world was created, you are the same after the world was created. It would have been simpler to state, you are the same before and after the world was created. The text, however, chose to be more explicit in order to stress that you, that the you that existed before the world's creation remains exactly the same you after its creation, without any change in his
1: being, nor even in his knowledge. Okay, so here he's adding something new. He says, not only... Not only is there no change within God, that God was alone before he created the world, he remains alone after he created the world, that all of creation is nullified before him as if it doesn't exist, and it has no significance, it has no meaning, and therefore it doesn't affect him in any way whatsoever, so he remains unchanged, unaffected, alone. But you would think maybe his knowledge, when you talk of God's knowledge, whatever that means, but when you discuss God's knowledge, God's knowledge, there is a change. Because before creation, God did not know of the world, because there was nothing to know, there was no world. Now, God knows of the world, he knows of creation. So at least when you talk of God's knowledge, so to speak, at least regarding the knowledge, there has to be a change. Before creation, there was no knowledge of creation. There was nothing to know. After creation, now God knows of a world. He knows. He's aware of us. He knows of us. He knows of everything that we do, everything that we think, everything that we say, everything that happens in the world. So there has to be a change. In the, in, in, there has to be a change within God's knowledge. So he's saying no. Not only is there no change in God's essence, where well, there's not even a change in God's knowledge. Because you would think, you know, with, even within us, there's a d- huge distance between our essence and our knowledge. Our knowledge is not the sum total of who we are. The soul is much greater, is much greater than just what we know. The soul is more than just knowledge. The soul has in it many parts. The soul has knowledge, the soul has will, the soul has pleasure, the soul has emotions. The soul has the ability to think, to speak, to act. The soul is 248 uh, different uh, strengths and energies and abilities. So the soul is, the whole is greater than the sum total of its parts. The soul, the sum total of the soul is not about knowledge. Knowledge is one component of the soul, one expression of the soul. It's like a tree. A tree expresses itself in many ways. It's branches, it's, its, its trunk, it's roots, it's, uh, its leaves, it's uh, twigs. So the tree, many, the tree expresses itself in many different aspects. But that's not, not the twigs are not the sum total of the tree. Or, so a person, the soul, the whole is greater than the sum total of its parts. Knowledge, which is one part of a person, a very important part. But that's not the sum total of who you are. The soul is, transcends knowledge. The knowledge is a part of you. The soul knows. Through knowledge And when you know something, your soul knows it through the ability to know. The soul has the ability to know, just like the soul has the ability to see, the soul has the ability to love, to feel attracted, but the soul's ability to be repulsed, the soul has the ability to think, so the soul has the ability to know. And by knowing, the soul knows. But the soul, you can separate the three. There's the soul. there's the ability to know, and then there's the thing that you know, the knowledge that you've acquired. So the soul is greater, transcends knowledge. The knowledge is not the sum total of the soul. So even within a human being, you can separate the essence of the soul, the person, from from knowledge, which is one aspect of a person, one expression of a person, one ability of the soul. So how much more so with God, that let's make a separation between God's essence, which is truly undefined, and God's knowledge. We speak of God's wisdom, we speak of God's understanding, we speak of God's knowledge, we speak of God's love, we speak of God's mercy, we speak of God's strength, we speak of God's competitiveness, we speak of, of God's ability to connect, of God's divine attribute of royalty to communicate. <clears throat> All of these are separate from God. If within a human being we can separate your ability from your soul, your soul transcends just knowledge. Knowledge is just one defined ability. The soul, the whole, is greater than the sum total of its parts. The soul is interlinking and interconnection between all of, your, all of your energies and all of your abilities. The soul is greater. So how much more so within God that God himself is greater. God is truly undefined. God's core, God's essence, which is truly limitless, infinite, undefined, beyond any definition and description. And God contains the ability to have wisdom and to know but that's not God. So you would think that that when we speak when the (coughs) verse speaks of a fact that God doesn't change that creation doesn't affect God that's only referring to God's essence. That God's essence remains unaffected unchanged by creation. Because God, there's no space empty of God, so God's essence permeates, even the divine attribute of royalty, even after the divine attribute of royalty creates time and space, God's essence permeates even that space, and therefore, just like God was alone, there's no space empty of him, there's no room for anything else. So even after he creates the world, nothing changes, and all there is is God. But when you speak of God's knowledge, then there is a difference. There's a difference before you know and after you know. Before creation there was nothing to know, now there's a world. So something changed in his awareness. At least now God is aware of us. How can you say that nothing changed? Before creation, before the six days of creation, there was nothing to know. After creation, now God's knowledge knowledge changed. Because before God knew, there was nothing to know. All God knew was himself. After the six days of creation, now God knows us. So at least his knowledge was affected by creation. God's essence was not affected by creation, but at least God's knowledge was affected by creation. There's a change. His knowledge, his awareness changed. Now he's aware of us. Before, there was no cup of water to be aware of. Now God is aware of this cup of water. Something changed in his knowledge. How can you say there is no change? He says, no, not only God's essence is is unchanged and unaffected by creation, even God's knowledge is unchanged and unaffected by creation. How is that possible? Before he wasn't aware of us, now he is aware of us. So that's what he's going to explain now. He's going to explain now because God's knowledge is different than our knowledge.
0: Maybe because he
1: always knew he was going to create us? You're asking a good question. Even a human being, let's say someone who knows the future, for whatever reason, he has a gift, he's a psychic, he sees the future. So you can say that he always knew there was never a change because he always knew the future. <laughs> so since God knows the future, so God knew that he's going to create a world, and therefore everything that happens, he already knows before it happened. So, so, so nothing changed. It was all there. From, there was never a time it wasn't there. Right? That, that's, that's like a, that's a very, very good answer. Could that be? No. How, how could he but
0: then, it's not so. How could he not then show Adam the, the, the whole future of, of creation? If we didn't know what it
1: is. No, of course God knows. God knows the future. And therefore, therefore, Ariel is saying, maybe the reason why God doesn't change is because He knows the futures. How can He change? We change because we don't know the futures. Every day we learn something we didn't know yesterday. But if you already know the future before it happens, so then, then there is no change. That's, technically, there is no change because I know already the future. But nevertheless, still is a change. In other words, I know that something will happen. I know now that something will happen in the future. But when it happens, and I know now that something will happen, when it happens, so- something did change. You can't say that, that, that nothing changed. There's a difference in knowing before it happens, it will happen, and then when it actually happens. I just know now that something will happen. But that means that knowing that something will happen, that knowledge... Is, is real? That knowledge is, is, is a change. I know that something will change. I know that something will happen. Something that did not happen yet will happen. That knowledge is also a change. I know that something will change. But
0: we're in a world of time and space. And Hashem is not in a world of time and space.
1: Okay, so he knows the future.
0: Unless that means every, we've always existed and we always existed? No,
1: will exist? no, God forbid. God forbid. Even now we hardly exist. <laughs> Even now our whole existence is a miracle. Is only because God wants us to exist. Every moment he's forcing us to exist. Otherwise, we, we, essentially we don't exist.
0: If God knew the future, right. then why would the okay to have been when the angel said to him, now you've proven that you're God-fearing? Then they didn't know that in
1: advance. Because Okay, so there's, there's, there's two types of knowledge. There's a knowledge the way God knows past, present, and future, a knowledge which totally transcends our way of knowing. We can't understand it. We can't comprehend it. How is it possible? How could you know past, present, and future? That's a knowledge that's totally hidden from us. We have no concept of that type of knowledge. It's very difficult to relate to that type of knowledge. Then you have a knowledge that's a conscious knowledge that responds to external, responds to after-the-fact. After-the-fact, it's a knowledge that you know that you're affected by it. No, There's a knowledge you're affected by, and there's a knowledge that you're not affected by it. It's, it's, it's a general type of knowledge. It's a very deep, subconscious type of knowledge, which you know, but it doesn't affect you. So God knows the whole future, past, present, and future are one, but it's a type of knowledge which is almost like an automatic, which is very deep and profound and it's very subtle and doesn't affect us. But then you have a type of knowledge which you're affected by. Like it says, when a person sins, God, God gets angry. When a person does a mitzvah, God is excited. Even though God knew before what you're going to do, what you won't do, your choices you will make. But that's a deeper, that's a higher level of knowledge. That's a level of knowledge that we can't even comprehend. A level of knowledge that God just knows—past, present, and future. He knows everything. Now, as my manager says, we have no ways of understanding. We don't know God's way of mind. We don't understand how it's possible. We can't relate to that.
0: Why would He be angry if He knows He's going to do? But then, it?
1: but there's a lower level of knowledge, in which which is closer to our conscious level. On that level, like God responds, just like a human being, you would respond. You get, hey, if someone does something to you or you know when a child is born, we we'll all get excited. Even though you know in your mind that this child one day is going to die and you're going to cry. People will cry at his funeral, so you can start crying now. It doesn't affect you. I know, I know that eventually everyone dies. But now he's born, now he's a simcha, now we drink lachayah, now we dance. Even though I know that one day is going to die, but that, that, what does it have to do with, that's a different type of knowledge. That's a general, bigger picture type of knowledge, which you know, the whole, you see the whole picture and you, you see the whole thing. But it doesn't affect my knowledge today. My knowledge today is right now, I have a simcha. A baby is born, I'm now going to dance and, and rejoice. It doesn't affect me. That knowledge is very... Is very, it's the bigger picture type of knowledge, which is very profound already, but that doesn't affect me. It's not close to my heart. But close to my conscious emotions and heart is the knowledge, the immediate knowledge. So too, Hashem also operates, so to speak, on two levels of knowledge. There's a level of knowledge where Hashem knows the whole picture and Hashem sees the whole future and past, present, and future, and we don't sense it. We can't sense it. It's an conscious knowledge. We don't even realize it. But it doesn't affect us doesn't affect our choice. On the other hand, there's a knowledge which God responds to us. When the Jews cried out in anguish when they were in Egypt and they cried out in anguish, it says God was stirred and God moved and God responded in the miracle and the exodus happened. God knew all along. But it's, it's, it's the level where God is responding, where God is closer to us, intimate to us, where, where we can feel and sense that response, that God responded to our knowledge. So it's, we talk about two different levels of knowledge, the lower level of knowledge and the higher level of knowledge. A person is rewarded for his positive choices. A person is, rewa- is punished for his negative choices and moral, immoral choices. So there Maimonides asks, how can the person be punished for his choices or be held responsible for his choices if God already knows what you're going to choose? So do you really have a choice? If God knows what you're going to choose, do you really have a choice? And Maimonides answers. he said, we don't understand God's knowledge. God knows, God's mind is different than our mind. So God knows, we don't understand God's mind. But God knows the future. But it's not like our mind. If we were to know the future, then you, then you really had no choice. That means that the person is a robot. So I know exactly what you're going to do. With God, it doesn't work that way. You have freedom of choice. But God knows what you will choose. How? We don't understand it. Because we don't understand God's mind. Just like you can't understand God, you can't understand God's mind. That's what my humanity answers. That's what he had. Now, so there's two levels of knowledge. There's a level of knowledge which doesn't affect us. When we say God knows, it doesn't affect us because we don't sense God's knowing. It's like God sees the bigger picture. We don't sense it. It doesn't affect us because we don't feel it. It means nothing to us. But then you have where God's knowledge comes very close to us, or God responds to us individually after the fact, after something is done, just like... Within us, you have the bigger picture. You know when your child is born, you know that one day your child is going to die. But it doesn't interfere with your joy because right now my knowledge is my child is born. It's a simcha, a mazalta When that will come, that will come. But right now, that's just an, a, a vague knowledge, a subconscious, general, bigger picture type of knowledge which doesn't affect you in your day-to-day life. So we talk about God's knowledge. So there's two types of knowledge. There's a knowledge that we can't relate to a knowledge which is divine, which is an unself conscious type of knowledge, a deeper nev- level of knowledge, an inner knowing, a knowing that comes from your very core, your very essence, just like you know yourself. It's an unself conscious knowledge, but it's the deepest knowledge. It's a knowledge that you always know that's dear, it's all encompassing. And then you have a lower level of knowledge, the human knowledge, conscious knowledge, external knowledge, which every day you learn something new, every day you grow till the end of your life. Every day you learn, hopefully you learn something new, you acquire knowledge, you learn something new, something you didn't know before, and now you know it. So something changed before you didn't know it, and now you know it, you're richer, you enriched your knowledge. But then there's a deeper knowledge, the deepest knowledge, the conscious knowledge, the knowledge that's not disconnected or separate, the, 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 the knowledge that's inseparable from us, which, which is a, a knowledge which you always knew, and you know with your whole being, that knowledge is always there. That knowledge that knowledge is inseparable from you, it's always there, and, and it's not external. You can't divide a separate person, the, 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 the knower, the knowledge, the thing that's known, the ability to know, it's all inseparable. That's divine knowledge. And that's something that's very difficult for us to relate to, because most of us only operate on the conscious level. We have no clue what subconscious looks like. We have no clue what that type of knowledge looks like. Very rarely we get glimpses into that type of knowledge. Even that all-encompassing knowledge of self is unself-conscious. It's there. It's total. It, but we don't even sense it. It's there. So it's very difficult for us to relate to God's type of knowledge. But God's knowledge is different than all than our knowledge. Our knowledge <coughs> is external based. We're aware of things that we can touch. We can taste, we can smell, we can see. Things that, things that defy the five senses, things that are not external, are very hard for us to relate to, very hard for us to accept, or to realize, to become aware of. Of course, our soul is more real to us than anything else. When you wake up in the morning, you're aware of yourself. What is yourself? Yourself is nothing external. You don't have to touch yourself in the morning to know that you're there, or to see yourself, to hear yourself. You're aware of yourself. That self. That's real knowledge. But that's a deep knowledge. That's that's, soul. A, that's a knowledge. That's your soul. You close your eyes. You're aware of yourself. What's that self? It's not anything external. But you're more certain of that reality. than Anything in the universe you can taste, touch, smell, experience with the five senses. Because that's external. This is internal. This is real knowledge. This knowledge of self. That's your soul. You can't define it. You can't put your finger on it. But you're more certain of that than anything else. That's how you experience yourself from the inside out. That's deep knowledge. That's real knowledge. That's a knowledge that's inseparable. You can't separate the knower, the knowledge, or the known. It's all. It, it's it's a total, all-consuming type of knowledge. And um, but but you have to become aware of it. You have to educate yourself, train yourself to to realize that truth. Most of us are not in touch with that. Most of us are in touch. We only things that we can, you know, we can sink our teeth in or this. We can touch, taste, or smell. That's real to us. Anything else is not real. And therefore, we dismiss the soul, we don't pay attention to the soul, we have no time for the soul, we don't listen to the soul, we don't talk to the soul, we have no time for things of the soul, matters of the soul. We only have time for matters of the body, external pleasures, external things, fame, money, power, all external things, because, because we forget, we forget we don't have the tools to realize, we don't pay attention, we're not educated, so we don't realize the, 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 our tr- you know the true reality. So... The knowledge that we're in tune with, that we're in touch with, is very external knowledge. It's a superficial knowledge. It's a self-conscious knowledge. Self-conscious knowledge is divided into three parts. There's the knower, you can have the knower without knowledge, and many people who exist without a bit of knowledge. You can have knowledge and then you have the knowing. You can have people who have great potential, but they never utilize it. And you can see one without the other. And then all three come together when a person knows something. The soul knows through the ability to know. Through the knowledge, you know whatever you happen to learn and know. So the three come together. So it's acquired knowledge. It's external knowledge. It's an accumulated, like accumulation of wealth, something you acquire. And every day you grow richer. You learn something new. And you grow in knowledge. And every day you continue to grow. But that's an external type of knowledge. And there's a change before you knew and after you knew. You definitely change. Your mind changes, you change, because now you know something you didn't know yesterday. But with God, God's knowledge is different than our knowledge. God and his knowledge are inseparable. And therefore, God knows because he knows himself. And since God's essence permeates all of reality, including the time and space of, of this world, God hasn't changed. His essence permeates reality. And God knows everything that exists because he knows himself. And since he hasn't changed, and he was alone before he created the world, so he knows every everything because he knows himself. So just like he hasn't changed, his knowledge hasn't either changed. Nothing changed before he created the world, after he created the world, but before he he didn't know us, now he doesn't know us. He doesn't know us, not that he knows something new. He knows us because he knows himself. And God always was. God is. God hasn't changed. His essence hasn't changed. His very essence permeates all of reality. Even our frame of reference, even time and space, even this world, Is still not no space empty of God. God's essence permeates all of His reality. So just like God knew Himself, knows Himself, by knowing Himself He knows everything. Everything is from within Him. Everything is Him. Everything is within Him. There's nothing outside of God. So therefore God was alone before He created the world. He's alone after He created the world. His knowledge hasn't changed. Just like God knew himself, now that he knows everything, it's not nothing new. It's not that he knows something new. He knows himself. And by knowing himself, he knows everything. So nothing changed. It is very difficult for us to relate to it because it's not our type of knowledge. Our knowledge is external knowledge, con- self conscious knowledge. We can't relate to unself conscious knowledge or knowledge we're, is inseparable. It's very difficult for us to even relate to that type of knowledge. But that is a divine knowledge. And therefore there is no separation. The knower and the knowledge and the knowing is all one. So God knows this cup of water, so that knowledge of the cup of water, the ability to know, and God is one. There is no separation. And therefore since God is alone before he created the world, God knows himself, and by knowing himself he knows of the water. So he knows himself, nothing changed. So he knows of everything that exists in this world. He senses everything that exists in this world. He's aware of everything that exists in the world every thought, every speech, every action, every movement, every amoeba that moves, down to the tiniest detail. Everything is divine providence. God knows everything and is aware of everything and senses everything. And he knows. And yet at the same time, he remains unaffected. His knowledge doesn't change. Before, after, because he doesn't know externally something outside of him. He knows himself. By knowing himself, he knows everything. Because everything comes from him. There's no space empty of him. So God knows himself. What does God see in everything and know of everything? He knows himself. So What changed? Nothing changed. At the same time that he knows this multitude of beings and multitude of events... It happens simultaneously. It almost blows, blows away the mind, blows away the imagination, boggles the imagination. The amount of activity that happens simultaneously, the trillions and zillions of events that happen all over the world at this very moment, this split second. And yet, God knows it with a different type of knowledge. Maybe you can use an analogy within a human being. There's two types of knowledge within us. It's a more external type of knowledge, a linear type of knowledge, where you know detail by detail. But then you have a more holistic type of knowledge, where the body is aware what's going on in the body, what's going on in the body at this split second. At this split second, there are millions of events going on in the body simultaneously. I mean, it would take a computer the size of three globes to figure out What's going on in in the human body at the same time? The millions and millions of events that are executed at this split second to make this body function in unity and harmony. And yet the body is aware of it in one split second. It's a different type of knowledge. It's a different type of awareness. It's awareness that we can barely even fathom. We all sense that. We all have a, a... Sometimes we get a sense of something. Not of details, Like you have a sense of a person. You have a sense of a person, you know, someone you have a relationship to, and you have a sense of them. That sense is not about details. If you had to list everything you know about that person and all your interactions with that person, it may take you a few years. And yet, you have a single moment, just a single sense of that whole person. You have a sense of an opera that you went to. Maybe the opera had a hundred-piece band and it went on for four hours and, you know, if you went into all the details, it would just be overwhelming. But you have one single sense of that whole thing. It's a whole different type of knowledge, of sense, of, 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 of awareness. It's a simultaneous holistic that includes millions and millions of pieces. And it's not about the details. It's about there's a whole... Simultaneous, all interrelated, interconnected, with the whole is greater than the sum total of its parts, and, and you sense the whole thing. And that's a very deep level of awareness, a very deep level of knowledge that we all mm-hmm. have inside of us, but most of us never access, most of us never use. Most of us can hardly even relate to that type of knowledge, or never utilize it. We, most of us utilize a very superficial, external, linear, conscious type of knowledge. Is, which is very narrow and very limiting. But there's also a deeper level of knowledge, a subconscious level of knowledge, which is totally a whole different level of knowing, all-encompassing, includes millions and trillions of pieces and components, not just a composite of components, it's a whole, different, a whole different level of awareness. We have simultaneously, you can have zillions of things happening at the same time. And it's all harmony, it's all one, it's all interrelated, interconnected in ways that totally would boggle the mind. And if you can harness that, that the whole, the whole psychoanalysis, the whole psychology, all of psychology, post-Freud is trying to access that subconscious, trying to access that deeper knowledge, trying to tap into that deeper level of knowledge that most people are d- dimly even aware even exist. Not your body. Our bodies happen unselfconsciously. 999 percent of our body happens, with, happens unselfconsciously. All the complexities of the body happens without even aware. We can go through our whole life being totally unaware of the, of the, of the body, what's going on simultaneously. It would, it would boggle the mind of even try thinking about it. But the body is totally aware of it. That's how complex the body is. It's a whole different world, a whole different universe, that's happening within us, every moment, and we're totally blissfully unaware, not blissfully we're unaware. So so there's two levels of knowledge. There's a level of knowledge, which is our level of knowledge, conscious level of knowledge, external, superficial, which is acquired, which is accumulating, step by step, brick by brick, information by information, one day at a time, you learn something new and you acquire it, and you can separate, it's like almost components, you can separate the knower, the knowledge, and the knowing, and you bring them together. The whole thing is external, even after you know it, it's external. But then you have a subconscious level of knowledge, a whole different level of knowledge, where you know things simultaneously, where you know it in your kishkes, with every fiber of your being, every bone in your body. It's a whole, millions and trillions and zillions of things all happening at the same time, and you know it, and you know it intimately, and you know it with your whole being. Simultaneously, it's it's a whole different level of knowledge, where you can't separate the knower and the known, and what's known. It's a whole different world, the universe, that most of us never even experience in our lives. Consciously experienced. It's that rare person who has glimpses, rare occasions that all of us get a glimpse into something when something stirs very deeply inside of us. When we get the communication from our subconscious, or we get something stirs from, from our deepest depth of our being, and suddenly you, you get a taste of an experience where you become inseparable. There's no subjective, there's no objective, y- you know, an experience where you become you become the being itself. It's a whole different type of knowledge which we barely can grasp and barely can glimpse, which is how Maimonides answers the question. Maimonides asked the question, he says, how can a person have freedom of choice? How can say a person have freedom of choice? It's God knows the future, so God already knows what I'm going to do. So if God knows, then I have no choice. I have to do what God knows I'm going to do. And he says, what's his answer? Well, we can't understand the ways of God. God's mind is beyond our comprehension. So the it asks, "Yes, he asked a logical question. What are you telling me? Faith? So why start with the question in the first place?" But Maimonides is answering the question. He's not saying it's impossible to understand. Same. He's saying it's very difficult, it, because most of us never even glimpsed that deeper level of knowledge, that deeper level of awareness within us. We don't even we don't even know it. We barely know it exists. Even though it's fully operational. <laughs> And, and if we harnessed it, it would help us in our own lives. But we don't, we don't even know of that type of... We never experience, we never taste that level of knowing. Our whole level of knowing is so external, self-conscious, ego, external, superficial. So you're trying to understand God's knowledge. It's hard for us to even begin to relate. It's not impossible. He doesn't say it's impossible. He says it's difficult. And we know that God's mind is beyond our mind. That's a given. And therefore, we can understand that God's knowledge is different than our knowledge. And once you understand that God's knowledge is different than our knowledge, and God's knowledge, you can't separate God and the ability to know and his ability to know. And what he knows, all three are inseparable, are totally unified within God. And all the attributes are totally unified within God. Therefore, God was alone before he created the world. And therefore, his, his essence permeates Everything that exists permeates even the knowledge, permeates even the space that exists, and therefore his knowledge hasn't changed, he hasn't changed, and God is alone before he created the world, and even now, nothing changed. Can mm-hmm.
0: you talk about the messianic error and the an expanded consciousness and awareness of God? Is that what uh, you could say you're referring to people being more on that, that awareness that uh, the is happening at one to grasp
1: it and how will that Yeah, absolutely. When, uh, exactly. when Mashiach will come, it says all the secrets will be revealed. And not only the secrets in the world, but our own secrets. The secret levels of the soul will be revealed, the deeper levels of the happen? soul. Because it's
0: not going to be someone who's going to tell us because it doesn't mean anything to us. No. How will we be able to
1: grasp it? It says God will circumcise our hearts. Right now, the ego acts as a lid. As a cover-up, the conscious is a cover-up in our subconscious. We are not in control of our subconscious, as we learned earlier in Tanya. Only the tzaddik is in control of the subconscious. That's why the tzaddik is only one or two in every generation. It's not in our control. It's not in our. We don't have the choice. We are limited. We have the lid. We have the veil, and we have to operate under these trying circumstances. Um, That's our destiny. And it's very precious, but that's our destiny. Mashiach will come, the tzaddik within us will be revealed, will emerge. God will uncork, uncork the bottle, and all the hidden depth of the soul will emerge, and the conscious will no longer block us. And that's why only God can do that. That's why Mashiach will be a tremendous, godly revelation, because only God has the ability to really release and reveal that our subconscious will be able to emerge on a very conscious level. And then our whole level of living and a whole level of experiencing, our whole level of knowledge and awareness will be completely different. We'll be able to see and sense the godliness all around us, the, the divine reality, the unity. And um, it will be a whole different life and it will be a whole different world because the whole world is in the hearts of men. When our hearts will change, when the God will circumcise the, the, um, the blockage of the heart, Circum- circumcise the heart, uncover, uncork the heart. Then all the inner heart will merge and surface, and then the whole world will be changed. We'll see the godliness within the world. You'll we'll sense the godliness within the world. You know, we'll, we'll we'll transcend the whole narrow egotistical perspective that we currently have now. So this will be a tremendous, tremendous divine event. It'll be a split second when the light will go on, when Hashem will. Suddenly allow that depth, hidden depth, to emerge. And we'll experience it, and we'll sense it. That will be a tremendous moment.
0: Aren't all his secrets in the Torah, though?
1: Yeah, but the secrets of the Torah are secret. The Mashiach will come, all the secrets will be taught, will be revealed. You mean Tzadikim
0: don't get to the bottom? Yeah, Taddikim
1: get a glimpse. Taddikim get a glimpse of Mashiach.
0: A glimpse. They don't get...
1: They get a glimpse. A Mashiach will come. Sadiqim uh, are like members of the... F- they're like, you, Ariella mentioned earlier, time travelers. Sadiqim are time travelers. They really don't belong to our generation. They, they belong... They are citizens of the future. Imagine if we traveled back 500 years ago. We were telling people about cars, about, about <laughs> uh, PDFs, about computers, <laughs> <and> about satellites... <laughs> You know, and about the uh, nuclear weapons, and uh, you know that we would look at people would look at you like you're uh, a tzaddik and a said, But I was there. I'm telling you that that's the world. That's the world where you're going to live there one day. <laughs> Avram Yitzhak, and Yaakov were citizens of the future. They, Hashem, gave them a taste of the world to come of Mashiach. The Devir was a citizen of the future, and he was trying to help us get there. He was trying to help us. He was telling us about a world that he saw and he experienced and he lived every day. But. To us, sounded foreign and strange and so remote. And he's trying to help us get there. Because one day, not one day in the future, but any moment, we will, we will get there. We will all live on that level. Um, so, yes.
0: Maybe you can feel it a little bit in a talent. Somebody is talented in the way he can perform things. Compared to the other people, everybody, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, I know what you're saying. And you can ask somebody what is the talent, and you cannot explain it. No, you can't, because yeah. it, it's not, it, it comes from God, from without.
1: Also, when a person is talented and he's pursuing his talent, when you're in the zone, when you're totally focused on your talent, and you're at that moment, you also experience life in a much richer level, deeper level. There's no sense of time. There's no sense of space. There's no sense of separation. You're like totally unified and totally harmonious and totally one. And that's uh, that, that's a sense you get to experience, a taste of that deeper level of life. <coughs> um, and I'm sure that it adds to your longevity and it adds to your life and well-being and health. So yes, that's a very that's a very good analogy. But most it's a very rare, and it's a very gift to be able to. You know, I guess that's the reward. Athletes or people who are talented, the reward, what they're looking for, the payoff that they're looking for, they're looking to get into the zone, they're looking to have that experience, that total, uh, you know, where they feel so alive and you feel like you're living life on such a deep level and a day goes by you don't have it, you feel a little empty, hollow and shallow. Um, And that's what they strive for. That's what, once they tasted it, they want to, be there as much as they can as long as they can as often as they can every day of their life and um, that is a gift that is a very special uh, that is a special thing so you get a glimpse yes you get a taste creativity is a window to the soul that's why a real creative person a genuine person creativity should make him open to Hashem because it's really a window to the soul you get a taste of your soul so it should open you up to realize that there's a whole reality that we're dimly aware of that we're hardly aware of but that's right right beneath the surface. And it's our reality. And there's a whole different level of knowing and living. And it's a whole... And it's, it's, it's alive and well. <laughs> Just because we're not aware of it doesn't change the reality. I
0: mean, a lot of people don't follow what, they're, what they were put here to do. But so it's like the Rebbe said in Hayom Yom the other day, if, if God made you good with... create golden things with your hands... And you beg bread for a living every day. You're committing a sin. Really, that's what it said in my young Yeah. That Right. And that most people are not doing what uh, they were created to do, or what God had in mind for them, with the exception of rabbis. I'm not sure.
1: <laughs> but you're right. Um, and, you, you know, God didn't create anything extra. You're not going to be whole until you express, fulfill fulfill you you to the fullest, to the maximum of your ability. God wants everyone to be the maximum of their ability. They should be all cylinders, all cylinders should be running on all cylinders, fully challenged, fully engaged, fully expressing every ounce of energy, every ability, every moment, every opportunity, every experience. And uh, yes, not too many people live up to that, but that's what we that's what we should aspire to. To be continued. Lessons in
0: Tanya taught by Rabbi Ben Zion Krasniansky. For more Tanya study, please visit our website at www.lessonsintanya.com.